0: I'd like to begin today by inviting you to think about something that you would really love to have. Maybe it's a different car or a different place to live. Maybe it's a renovation or a yard makeover. Maybe it's a condo in a warm climate for the winter or a trip that you've always wanted to take or a move that you've always wanted to make. But you currently don't have this thing or can't move on this thing because you don't have the money. If you had the money, you would buy and begin to enjoy what you'd really like to have. So imagine you decide you're going to get it anyway. And you go down to the car dealership or the real estate office or the travel agent or the store that has that thing and you inform the people you would like to buy that item. You would like to take that trip. You'd like to buy that house or that car. And the salespeople are very pleased that you want to buy their product. And so they do what any salesperson would do is bring you over to where they do the transaction. And they say, how would you like to pay for this today? And you'd say... I'm paying without money. And they smile and say, oh, okay, so like credit or are you going to use cryptocurrency or what are you going to do? And you answer the same way, I'd like to buy it without money or payment of any kind. And now there's no smile, there's no laugh, they start to size you up as a fraud, not a potential buyer. So they ask you one more time, do you have any money, any currency to make this purchase? No, you say, I want to buy it without money. And they, of course, ask you to leave. For no business owner would stay open long if they gave all their goods away for free. Except one. And he is a very different kind of business owner. He has offers worth far more than whatever you were just thinking about. That car, that house, that move, that new place. His offerings will provide satisfaction, joy, and consolation for your entire life. Everything he offers is free. You can actually go to him and buy his offerings with no money. All you need to do is come to him to receive his gifts. Yet, we might question such an offer. No business owner we know operates like that. There has to be a catch. Some hidden cost. Some fee that we will have to pay down the road that is hidden in the fine print. But we look over things really carefully and we can find no hidden costs. Nothing in the fine print that will extract money from them, us. So, how can this business owner do this? Well, he can do it because his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. His ways and thoughts are so different than ours that he can actually offer the richest treasures this world has to offer for free. This business owner, in a sense, Is the Lord. And today we're going to see that since the Lord's thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways, we can buy His offerings without money. In fact, God is not in it for profit, He offers what He does for His glory and for our good. And this is message number eight in the series Jesus' Heart for You and we're going to go back to the old testament this week to discover another unexpected piece of god's heart where throughout this series we have been learning that it is critical to let the bible correct our misunderstandings or mistaken conclusions about god's heart and we need to do that again today as we consider god in a sense as a business owner or a a, a merchant in a marketplace who does things in his absolutely unique ways. And he he does them with a heart of deep love. And I pray that you will be moved to accept and receive the generous, life-giving offers that God has for you as we look at his heart today. So it is found in Isaiah 55 today in your Bibles or on your devices. You can also find it in the Bibles in front of you Or if you're in the front row, underneath you, on page 526, Isaiah 55. And let's watch for this unexpected piece of God's heart. So Isaiah 55, which says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine. And milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love For David, behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. "'Neither are your ways my ways,' declares the Lord. "'For as the heavens are higher than the earth, "'so are my ways higher than your ways, "'and my thoughts than your thoughts. "'For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven "'and do not return there but water the earth, "'making it bring forth and sprout, "'giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, "'so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. "'It shall not return to me empty, "'but it shall accomplish that which I purpose.' Well, if you've attempted to read the book of Isaiah, you may know that the first major chunk of the book is difficult. Chapters 1 to 39 contain prophecies of judgment against the Israelites. And this judgment would come because they had collectively rejected the Lord. They had turned away from God. Corruption and institutional sin was everywhere. And they thought that they could buy God off with token half hearted worship and rituals. But God would have none of that. He despised their half hearted worship. Such behavior actually led them away from Him, who was their source of hope and of life. So He sent prophets to warn them to turn back to Him before they would experience the natural consequences of their sin and their rebellion, but they refuse. So at the end of this first section, in Isaiah 39, we see a prophecy through a story that Babylon will one day come and conquer Israel and destroy the city of Jerusalem. And last week in Lamentations 3, we saw a writer reflecting on the fact that this had actually happened. He had actually experienced this. Yet from Isaiah 42, onward the tone of the prophecies change from judgment to hope and the Lord speaks through his prophets about a coming restoration a renewal a new era of hope where God will reign and he would accomplish this transformation through someone called the servant of the Lord And in perhaps one of the most famous passages of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, two chapters before our chapter, we find the suffering and sacrifice of this servant for the sins of the people. And there you will find a stunning depiction of someone who has been brutalized and beaten and abused. Very much like someone who would be crucified. 700 years later. And through this servant sacrifice, the Lord would restore the people and bring them back into close relationship with himself. And the rest of the collection then contains these prophecies that invite people to come and enter into this new kingdom under God's reign. And that's where Isaiah 55 fits. It's another hopeful, inviting, and forward-looking prophecy. That encourages people to come to the Lord. And within it we find this unique piece of God's heart. In verse 8 where the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. So what is God's heart for us? The answer to that question this week is his thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. Yes, Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. Yes, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Yes, Jesus will never cast us out. Yes, Jesus is compassionate, but he's also completely different from us in thinking and the way he carries out his actions or the actions that he takes. Now, we often get uncomfortable with people who don't think like we do who don't do things like we do. We look for like-minded people, don't we? So this can be a little bit disturbing when we think about the Lord and ourselves. But I can assure you that it is very good news that the Lord's thoughts are not our thoughts and the Lord's ways are not our ways. Why? Well, one reason is our ways often get us into trouble. And back in Isaiah 53, 6, just a few verses before chapter 55, we read, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, him, the servant of the Lord, the iniquity of us all. So our ways lead to selfishness, destruction, hopelessness and darkness, God intervenes and lays our sins upon the servant ultimately Jesus to rescue us from our ways. Another reason it's good news that God's ways are not different are different from our ways is because this opens the door to us experiencing this unique marketplace talked about in Isaiah 55 where we can buy Without money. Because God's ways are different than ours. He can create a marketplace situation where we can buy these great gifts that he has for us without affecting our bank accounts. And he can accomplish this because he doesn't depend on money to exist or to continue. He is independent of money. His ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. This phrase affirms the fact that God is infinitely smarter and more intelligent than the most intelligent humans in history and today. And it also affirms the mystery of God's ways. We think about the providence of God and we look at things that happen and we don't understand them. And yet we say, for God's ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts because we don't understand this situation and what God can be doing here. And certainly, those truths are affirmed in this verse, but notice the word for at the beginning of verse 8. F-O-R, for. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my way. So the for points back to what came before verse seven let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither your ways my ways so there's something in verse seven that is explained or that causes verse eight What about verse 7 requires this explanation? That God's thoughts are not our thoughts, nor his ways our ways. Well, notice in verse 7, he talks about the wicked and the unrighteous. And notice he talks about their ways and their thoughts. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous forsake his thoughts. And what happens if a wicked person forsakes their ways and an unrighteous person forsakes their thoughts, we're told at the end of verse 7 that the Lord will have compassion on them and meet them with abundant pardon. And you and I are supposed to place ourselves or imagine that we are the wicked and the unrighteous and if we forsake our wickedness, and our unrighteousness and return to the Lord, he will meet us with compassion and with an abundance of pardon. But then he gives us this this assurance in verse eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways. Why? And it could be because we struggle to accept Great gifts without paying them, back, paying them back. This is not how the world's marketplace works. If you're going to get something valuable, you have to pay for it. But the Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. And when it comes to our sins, Or the things we've done wrong, we live in a world which says you have to do your time to pay for your crime. So Dane Ortland comments on this in the book Gentle and Lowly, which we've been following. He says, what is God saying here? He's telling us that we cannot view his expressions of mercy with our old eyes. Our view of God must change. What would we say to a seven-year-old who, upon being given a birthday gift by their loving father, immediately scrambled to reach for their piggy bank to pay the father back for the gift? How painful to a father's heart. That child needs to change her very view of who her father is and what her father delights to do. And then he continues with this. The natural flow of the fallen human heart is reciprocity or balancing the scales, owing no one. And there is something healthy and glorious in desiring order and fairness rather than chaos, but that impulse has been tainted by sin. We have an impoverished view of how God feels about people and we think our view is accurate because this is how we feel about people if people are wicked against us if people have evil thoughts towards us we do not meet them with compassion and abundant pardon even if they return to us seldom is it like that we are guarded And we project that image onto God. But God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways, your ways. And in saying this, the Lord is not cheating justice. He's not saying, well, you know what, I'm just going to sweep what you've done, your wickedness and your evil thoughts under the carpet and pretend that they didn't happen. No, he can say this because he got someone else to pay our debt. And in Isaiah, this someone is called the servant. And in the New Testament, this someone is called Jesus Christ. And to ensure that the listener and the reader gets this point, he goes on in verse 9 to give us an example of how his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. He says, for as high as the heavens are, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts so if you follow the train of logic there you're still having trouble believing that i will meet you with compassion and with an abundant pardon if you return to me from your wickedness and your evil thoughts well my ways are infinitely higher than your ways my thoughts infinitely higher than your thoughts and just in case we have any lingering doubts that the Lord will actually do this, he follows it up with verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but to water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing For which I sent it. So, you know how rain and snow come down and water the earth, and snow, yes, oppresses our lives during winter, but ultimately it has a purpose to water the earth. They create the conditions to grow crops. From the crops, we get bread. And in the same way that water goes down and accomplishes its purpose, my word goes out and will accomplish what it said it will do. And my word is that if the wicked and the unrighteous forsake their wicked ways and thoughts, and return to me, I will meet them with compassion and abundant pardon. Even though this is totally different than the way things work in the world's marketplace. It's the way the Lord works, and we have to adjust to that. We can't project onto him the way people generally think or do things in our world. For his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are our ways his ways. So we need to come to him to receive what he has for us. And so we've already seen one of these, compassion and abundant pardon, but I see three more great offerings of gifts from God in this passage. One is a deeply satisfying life for free. So if you were to ask the Lord, what do you have to give me, Lord? I, I give you, offer you a deeply satisfying life for free. Verse, verse 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So there's an invitation to have our our basic needs met, our soul thirst met in the Lord, but not just the basic needs met. The invitation is for wine and for milk, the, the richer fare, the richer drink, a deeper satisfaction. And then in verse two, he says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why are you spending your life chasing things that ultimately don't satisfy your soul? They impoverish your soul. They drain you. They bring you to dark places. Instead, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. So I want to feed you, says the Lord, so you can delight in the richest of lives. Not money riches, but soul riches. And satisfaction riches that are found in me. And about 700 years later, Jesus talks in similar language, like in John 4, verse 14. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Or John 7, 37 and 38. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So this image of water from God portrays satisfaction for our soul's thirst. But it's not just basic satisfaction that quenches our thirst. There's wine, there's milk, there's the richest of food to be enjoyed and tasted when we come to the Lord. Another tremendous gift the Lord offers us is an everlasting covenant secured by his steadfast love. Verse 3 says, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So this is good news, because when we come to the Lord, the Lord doesn't say, well, you know what, I want to enter a temporary contract with you, and I want to see how things are going to turn out. And see if you kind of keep up your end of the bargain. I'll see. And then if things go well, then maybe I'll commit more deeply to you. No, we come to him. Here's an everlasting covenant. And it's sealed or bound by my steadfast love. Just like I did with David. I promised him that someone from his line would reign forever. And today Jesus Christ from the line of David is reigning the universe and will reign forever. And just as the Lord came through with the everlasting covenant for David we can receive that relationship when we come to the Lord. He's committed to us for the long haul and into eternity because of his steadfast love. And another tremendous gift found in this passage is the hope of life eternal on a renewed earth under the Lord's reign. And that's verses 12 and 13. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Well, that is Exodus language. That's leaving slavery, leaving a life of oppression, leaving a life of trouble to a new land, going out with joy, being led forth with peace. But this new land is unlike anything that we've ever seen. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So somehow creation will join in this joy and peace in God's kingdom. But creation will not only rejoice, creation itself will be transformed. Verse 13, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. So this is a life of joy and peace in a world renewed, restored by the Lord, and even creation itself will be transformed, just like you and I will when we enter into this eternal kingdom under the Lord's reign on the renewed earth. And all who come to the Lord can look forward with great hope to this coming new creation and the God who holds it all in his hands. So, so these are amazing offers from the Lord. There's like four of them. Four of them. And the question is, well, we can't buy them with money. So how do we accept them? And there's several ways that are listed in this passage. Number one, seek the Lord and call upon him. Verse six, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And this does not mean go looking for someone who is lost. Go seek him. It's more like coming to someone we know is there and coming with commitment to where he's at. And the phrases while he may be found and while he is near imply a sense of urgency. We don't know how long we have in life. We don't know when the Lord will return. We will not have forever. So seek him while he can be found. Call upon him while he's near. And if you have not yet sought out the Lord and called out to him in faith, you need to do that before it's too late secondly he says forsake wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts and then return to the lord that's verse 7 this is a clear picture of what repentance looks like forsake abandon quit or leave behind those things that are wicked and unrighteous and turn away from those old ways and return to the lord So maybe we've been following some wicked ways lately or entertained some unrighteous thoughts. We need to forsake those, not just admit them, forsake them and return back to the Lord. Number three, listen diligently, incline your ear and hear. Notice that in verses two and three, listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul May live. And this begs the question how much time and space do we make in our lives to listen to God, to listen to His Word, to hear what He has to say to us with all His wisdom and discernment and guidance and direction? For eat, delight, live. The Christian life is not supposed to be one of gloom and doom. We are to enjoy the life God has for us, to taste the delight of knowing him and walking with him, to live as he meant us to live. And five, look ahead with hope. When all hope on the earth is lost, there's still hope because of the Lord And the life that is coming. Because there's a new world coming that will leave behind all the ills of this world. So we need to look ahead with hope in a God. Whose ways are not our ways and whose thoughts are not our thoughts. And so my friends, we may not have everything we want in life. Because we don't have the money. But we can have everything we need in life. By coming to the Lord who awaits with compassion, abundant pardon, wisdom, the richest of food, and the wisdom of knowing him. And so, Lord God, as we come to you now, we pray first of all that you will help us to adjust to who you really are. We confess that there are times when we treat you and think that you are just like us. That your ways are exactly like our ways. That your thoughts are exactly like our thoughts. And so we look at other people who are sinners and we think, well, you should treat them like we feel. Forgive us for that, Lord. And forgive us also for resisting your free gift pridefully wanting to pay for them, thinking that we can earn them somehow, thinking that we, by our smarts and our efforts, can overcome a debt to you. This debt is eternal, Lord, and help us to get comfortable somehow with that, not complacent, but comfortable And then for those here today, maybe who need to seek you. Seek you now. Help them, Lord, as you await them. Help us to forsake those wicked and evil ways. And to taste and see that you are good.